Hello, welcome to your favorite crossover podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm here with my co-host, Dustin. This episode... Oh, oh, sorry. oh hey. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. Hello. This is Army of Crime, a podcast about stuff. This episode, we are looking at, I don't know if you've heard of this, a film called, it says here, Rise of Skywalker. Apparently, it's part of some series. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Is this um, Star Trek? Something like that. Yeah, something. It's some kind of series. I don't know. Uh, so we are looking at the movie Rise of Skywalker. It is a movie. It is the ninth, if you can wrap, wrap, your, brain, wrap your brain around this fact, the ninth Star Wars film in the main storyline, the 11th overall live-action, uh, big-budget Hollywood major-release Star Wars film. It's the 12th theatrical Star Wars film overall since there was one animated theatrical release. Uh, my qualifier, you'll notice my qualifier just had live action in it. Right, but, but I feel like that's kind of an arbitrary distinction, but go on. Sure, sure. So it's it's a Star Wars movie. There's a lot of them now, and it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. So this movie is directed by J.J. Abrams. It has a bunch of people in it. It has Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, Oscar Isaac, John Boyega, Kelly Marie Tran. It has Billy D. Williams, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher by way of archival footage, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO. Probably I'm missing someone. There's a lot of people in it. Ian McDermott. As, yes, as Palpatine, um, which is in the trailer. Uh, we will probably have spoilers for this if you're worried about if you're such a person who worries about such things. I feel like you probably wouldn't be listening to a podcast episode about it if you were trying to avoid spoilers. But there it is, spoilers for all Star Wars that exists. I already suppose. already seen the movie if you're a person who cared about Star Wars spoilers. Right, but for the record, sure, yes. Usually we don't go try and go light spoiler as a matter of as a philosophical choice, and plus going over plot details is usually like the lowest form of criticism. I feel like, but. Here we are. That's your official disclaimer. So by the time this episode comes out, the movie will probably have been out for about maybe a month and a half-ish, something like that. We both have seen this movie. What did you think of the ninth Star Wars film in the main Skywalker saga? Dustin, go. Give me your take. So Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker is the end of the third Star Wars trilogy, the sequel trilogy. And I would say that it is one of the weakest Star Wars films overall. There's a, a lot of, I think, glaring issues that this film has. Um, primarily uh, concerned with, it's just like a really bizarre, regressive, overstuffed film that's trying to please everyone and do everything. It has like what feels like 12 hours worth of plot, like frantically jammed into a two and a half hour film. And to go with that, it's also attempting to undo a bunch of stuff that happened in the previous Star Wars films, which is extremely bizarre and like wrong headed. Overall, it's just like a mess. I don't think it really works at all. It's one of the weaker films in the uh, Star Wars series. For me, it's the, the only one that I would say is really worse is uh, Attack of the Clones, which has a um, glaring like black hole of charisma at the center involving 
a relationship between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman. There's nothing in this film that's quite that bad, but overall, it just like really does not gel whatsoever. So you're ranking it all the way towards the bottom. Yeah, I don't know that there's that much to recommend about this film. I mean, you listed off all of the charismatic actors that are in this movie, but most of them really don't uh, have all that much to do. There's a lot of like chasing after MacGuffins. And, you know, the best parts of a lot of Star Wars films are when the characters are like in a spaceship together or like just like bantering. And you don't really get a lot of that kind of like character interaction in this because the characters are all fairly static and like none of them really have much of like an arc in this film unlike the previous two films in this trilogy and they're all basically focused on chasing whatever the next plot device is so yeah there's not really a lot to recommend in this film it's all it's just kind of a mess it's really disappointing to be honest okay i i did like this movie I had a, I did have a mixed reaction to it. I think there are some things to recommend about it. There are, there are some things I would recommend about it. One of those things I would recommend there's a there's a man in this there's a guy here who's like carrying this movie. I feel like on his hefty masculine shoulders, and that person's name is Adam Driver, who I think really sells a lot of this. I think his character arc. You mentioned there's not a lot of arcs in this movie. He does have a character arc, structurally placed kind of weird in the movie, but I think his character arc is is worthwhile i think that's a good character i think he's kind of the heart of the movie i guess he's he's the the most important part of it that does work is adam driver as kylo ren would you agree with that at least adam driver is a great actor and he can spin gold out of anything so yeah i mean if if there was a reason to watch this movie it would be because of him however what i would say is that jj abrams has this established thing that I don't really understand where he makes Star Wars movies that intentionally uh, ape plot points from other Star Wars films. He did this with The Force Awakens and that film basically like copied the structure and a bunch of plot points from the first Star Wars film. And this film takes a similar approach to Return of the Jedi. So anyway, the point of that is, is that as soon as frame one rolls, you basically know exactly what's going to happen to Kylo Ren because his J.J. Abrams has decided that his character arc in the series should echo Darth Vader. So I feel like that kind of blunts uh, part of the interest in that character. Because even though, you know, Adam Driver is a great actor, there's not really any surprises as to what happens with this character. It all just kind of plays out exactly as you would expect from, you know, knowing that it's going to copy Return of the Jedi. There's a real lack of originality uh, going on and a real like lack of surprises it just is like um really like we're going through the motions to get like a pavlovian response from the h- hardcore fans yeah i guess i don't necessarily disagree with the somewhat derivative plot elements you're talking about kylo ren's character arc i just the the scenes in this movie that i like there are scenes that i like in this movie and i think the movie really starts um when they're they're on they're in the ruins of the second Death Star, and I don't know if that strikes you as one of those derivative things. I kind of like the yeah. So you you were not on board with them going to the second Death Star at all? Well, in the previous Star Wars film, there was a line of dialogue where Kylo Ren says, "You have to let the past die and kill it if you have to," 
And as an ethos in that film, it kind of meant sort of like forging ahead and having characters change and have to like reckon with difficult things. And in this film, it's everything is all about looking back and going backwards. So going back to stuff from previous movies is no, not really that interesting to me. Okay. I did like the visual. Like there's this, this visual conceit of them uh, like battling in the wreckage of the empire, like in this surrounded by all these ruins and stuff like the, like the shadows are like are crowding in around them and they're, that that scene, I like that when they're on Endor, and I like all basically all the interactions between those two characters. So I I think the heart of the movie is is Kylo Ren, and um, Daisy Ridley's character, Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley's characters is I think really the heart of the movie. And when they kind of interact off of each other, I I I feel like that works, and I I do like that. I think, you know, Adam Driver, um, he does a tremendous job in this movie, and it's not the thing that he's doing is not in the dialogue. It's like all it's like he's bringing everything. He's like bringing all like these facial expressions and like the way he walks. It's like you can read so much off of his character just by like the way he does it. Right. It's not in the dialogue. It's not in something, um, you know, from other characters or from the director or whatever. It's like he's bringing all this stuff and you can just read so much into his character. I guess I, I found that 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 works. You you have um, in this character that he has here, there's on some level, it's like this hyper masculine warrior king on paper right he's this guy who's inventing himself and he's has this mask that's like welded together and he's trying to you know be like this warrior king of a empire of um of killers but under even the slightest pressure you can see that he starts to emotionally crack right and you know that's all in like adam driver's face and like his delivery like his facial expressions convey uh so much that the dialogue really doesn't yeah adam driver's a great actor but like you can watch Adam Driver act really well in other movies that don't have 15 hours worth of plot and a dozen other characters to get around. And I don't honestly think that Daisy Ridley is all that great of an actress. I feel like the scenes between the two of them, he's basically doing all the work. But I don't, I find, I found their interactions to be much more interesting in the previous Star Wars film. I'm not sure yeah. here that yeah. it's, it doesn't work as, as well. Yeah, it's I, I I read a little about this because they of course fired the previous director, right? And they were apparently keeping to their original release date. They were gonna have someone else make this. JJ Abrams was not going to make it, right? So they bring him in, he's trying to make this. It it does end up feeling like kind of a jumble. And you you can't help but wonder what would happen in an alternate universe where they just had a fresh start and someone else making this. Because in many ways, the yeah like you said the plot is kind of a jumble it's like all over the place there's a lot of time spent you know churning through there's a lot of screen time spent chasing things they're being chased they're chasing people um and i suppose he's trying to keep this sense of momentum going right like some kind of energy but it, it ends up just feeling like a bunch of puzzle pieces being filled in and you know i watched recently another movie that's also made by J.J. Abrams. That's also a Star Wars movie, right? The Force Awakens, which, as you mentioned, does have some derivative kind of plot elements. But I feel like the movie, that movie works. I think it works. And I think that they are, there's a lot of chasing in that. And But it feels, it feels a lot more streamlined, whereas this feels kind of all over the place. And, you know, I'm not going to try and compare it to a bunch of things, but I think just compared to the other Star Wars movie made by J.J. Abrams, it does feel like we're taking a lot of shortcuts and side cuts and, like, weird routes to get to places. 
in, instead of, you know, you're trying to keep this momentum going, but we're always like shifting gears into different things. It's, it's kind of a baffling narrative choice, really, to spend so much time chasing things. And then when we get them, we have to chase something else. And then we have to chase something else after that. Yeah, The Forest Awakens is a better movie than this, um, which really isn't saying much because this movie is bad. But, I mean, you can play what would have happened if this movie had been made differently with any movie. At the end of the day, they uh, released a, a bad movie. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not the end of the world. It's not the yeah. worst Star Wars movie, but right. they, uh, the problem it's... with it, The Force Awakens is I think it's a lot more fun to, and it's a lot more interesting as a viewer to set these things in motion rather than in this film where they have to look back and basically tie off, not only like tie off all of the plot threads, they have to then introduce new ones just in this film and tie those off while also undoing things from other movies that they apparently don't like. So it's like a lot to do. And, but you know what, like making any movie is hard. So like, I don't know, he's not going to get like pity points for me for that. Yeah. I just, I guess it's not even, I wonder, like, the studio, you know, they, they set this up, like, as a as you mentioned, there's a lot to do. It's the ninth part of a series, ostensibly. They were apparently, like, editing the movie and doing post-production while they were shooting it, and there was, like, a four-hour cut originally. So I, I think that, I guess my point is that you can see that kind of show up in the movie because, um, and I had just rewatched the one before this, and I feel like the, the scenes... Um, Instead of having a complete arc, it feels like we're just picking up, in some senses, of the relationship between those two main characters, um, Daisy Ridley's character and Adam Driver's character. Like, we're just kind of picking up from the last movie, which isn't a terrible choice, but then again, it doesn't give you something, you know what I mean? It's not like giving you something new. It's not like we're going to take this and take it in a new direction. You're trying to tie off a lot of this other stuff. It kind of made me think of the ending of Game of Thrones, which I won't give away if someone's listening to this that also doesn't. But, you know, Game of Thrones, I think the conventional opinion is that while there's like technically a lot of things in it that on a on a basic level seem good or, you know, there's a lot of good actors and writ large, it kind of makes sense. I think a lot of people felt like they were plowing through plot points in the most obvious, like expedient way possible. I get a kind of sense of that here. Like we're just taking the straight line through a lot of things. And what yeah. you end up with is something that makes sense, like on an elevator pitch or something maybe. But when you're sitting down to watch it, it, it just, it feels like, it feels like undercooked. Like they should have just left it in the oven longer. I don't know. A lot of that stuff that you said, like we're shooting it while we're editing it and where there's like a four hour cut and all this other stuff. I mean, that's, pretty common for all like studio blockbusters a lot of that was probably true for the last star wars movie too and i mean you can blame kathleen kennedy and like the lucasfilm studio executives if you want i mean that's fine studio executives have a long history of ruining films and certainly they've ruined much better films than this but at the end of the day i mean it's just like not you know yeah yeah there's a guy yeah no i i agree it's you know, it's interesting is I feel like we've reached Star Wars saturation point, because if you look at the numbers on this, I think the box office on this is set to probably pan out slightly below the last one. And the last one panned out below the one before that. So I think we've reached like Star Wars saturation. I think I think it's it might be possible that Star Wars needs to take a nap for a while. I think Star Wars is tired. Star Wars, Star Wars needs to take a little bedy bed. Well, I think what happened was 
and this started in my this is just my autopsy of the star wars film series but with return of the jedi i think a fatal case of sequelitis set into this series and from basically that point forward it became all about servicing the franchise and the continuity and linking plot points and characters together and sort of like building out this like fictional world this piece of intellectual property because i don't know that's i mean that's how i feel about the star wars series and i think that's especially evident in these like disney star wars films in the way that it's very much like here is an entry in this series rather than like a movie i mean the last jedi would be kind of an exception to this but the rest of these all feel like they started life in a stockholders meeting and have been you know micromanaged to death by a you know room full of studio executives which you know a lot of terrible films come out that are take that start in stockholders meetings and get micromanaged to death by studio executives so it's not like that's really that remarkable of a thing and um, yeah. one thing that i did want to talk about which i think is really stupid in this movie is the previous star wars film did this had this really interesting angle where instead of like calling back to the original star wars trilogy which had these big plot reveals of characters being related to each other they revealed that the main character's heritage was actually not important at all and she was just like nobody from nowhere and the with the idea being that like anybody can be a hero and it's not just about having a famous name or having an important bloodline is not what like makes you important and then in this movie they very clumsily and very clearly go back and retcon that and decide no in fact ray does have famous parents and has a famous bloodline and they make her the granddaughter of the bad guy from the previous Star Wars movies, uh, Emperor Palpatine, which I thought was really idiotic and just like some blatant like attempts at like fan service that just did not work at all. Yeah, it feels like a very baffling choice, right? To, there's only so much screen time in the world, and we spend a lot of screen time, as you mentioned, um, chasing chasing MacGuffins, chasing plot devices, and and then, yeah, we're going to spend more screen time going back and trying to fiddle with the previous movie. I, I agree. It, it's a baffling choice. I guess they didn't ruin it for me because maybe just because I expected it. I don't know. But it, it it is a weird choice. It is a very odd, like, that you would spend screen time doing that. It's not like you get to make, you know, there's, I say there's nine of them, but there's not like a Star Wars movie coming out every day and getting a chance to make a Star Wars movie. I, I, it, it's, it, it just seems like a baffling choice, I guess, to, to say, I'm going to make a Star Wars movie, but first I'm going to go back and, and fiddle with the previous one. I, I agree it's a baffling choice. You know, I did still overall like this movie, but I think it is the weakest of the three most recent ones. Well, I think and... what's going on here is that J.J. Abrams is um, relying on, like, plot twists and, like, shocking reveals to really, like, goose this thing along like there's a part in the movie where they trick you into thinking that Chewbacca is dead and then like 20 minutes later they're like oh I guess he was on a different ship and then he's like still alive so revealing that like you know Emperor Palpatine from the previous movies I mean they tell you that he's alive in the opening crawl and then in the first scene he's like already there and then later they're like yeah Ray is related to him and then they resolve that by the end of the film it just seems like they're you know, rather than like giving these characters like really interesting things to do, we send them off 
to chase MacGuffins and then layer in like some shocking twists to keep people interested. I mean, yeah. it's just Weird. true is that because Kylo Ren has to redeem himself and die a good guy just like Darth Vader, therefore you need another villain, like how the Emperor becomes the other villain in Return of the Jedi. So then like the laziest thing that you could do is, I guess you literally just bring back that same character. Yeah. And you know what's weird? So what's weird to me is, you know what movie did that much better? Was The Force Awakens, also made by J.J. Abrams. Because in that movie, they're chasing something. It's one, first of all, it's one thing they chase throughout the whole movie. Um, And there is like a reveal built in, but it doesn't feel like a weird like trick. Like it's just kind of given given to you in some dialogue. And it's kind of expected, right? And here it's like the same things are being done, but they're being done much less well. And I don't know why. Yeah, there's a fake death. There's like two fake deaths in this movie, which is a weird plot device to use and then take back like 10 minutes later. It's like there's just this relentless desire to push the plot forward at all costs. Um, And, you know, if you think of a movie like, let's say, a almost like the platonic ideal of an action adventure movie would be something like Mad Max Fury Road, which does have a relentless sense of momentum, right? And energy driving everything forward from, from like the very beginning of the movie, right? You're just like barreling forward. Um, And I think that's kind of like what he's trying to go for, but instead of having everything be based on like, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's based on like all these little plot points, like in a checklist, right? Like, to do this, 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 and then this, and then this person's dead, and now they're not dead, and so on and so forth. Whereas in something like Mad Max, it's just like a literal, um, it's almost like a chase from beginning to end. And the the movie, The Force Awakens, made by J.J. Abrams, basically does the same thing, but better. Or so it just, even it feels another... like a lot of weird, a lot like a lot of weird choices. It's yeah. Or another Star Wars movie like The Empire Strikes Back has, like. The majority of that film, or like a big chunk of that film, involves the heroes getting chased across the galaxy by the bad guys. But what makes that more interesting is that the heroes have time to interact. So you can get like these great like character interactions between these actors and the heroes also, you know, change over the course of the adventure. Whereas in this movie, the characters are all static and they have no time to like interact in any interesting way because it's so they're so like frantically going from chasing one MacGuffin and then the next right which is again something J.J. Abrams does better in The Force Awakens it just it's not to hark back on that but that's like a it's weird that he made two of these movies and one of them he's like trying to do the same thing in both and in one of them I feel like it works and one it really doesn't and you know you mentioned Empire Strikes Back and almost everybody always picks that as their favorite Star Wars movie and it's like some kind of Empire Strikes Back curse Right. Because every Star Wars movie wants to be the next Empire Strikes Back, because like even in Return of the Jedi, we're, we're start throwing out the plot twists. And, and every ever, ever since then, you know, everybody wants to throw out the plot twists. And it's like a curse. It's like the Empire Strikes Back curse. That's what I'm saying. At Return of the Jedi, that's where the sequelitis set, set in. And now it's all about. Right. You know, and it's interesting, too, because in when they made Empire Strikes Back, Irvin Kirshner shot it. In so he didn't shoot conventional uh, master shots and coverage. He shot it in like a very specific way of just picking the pieces that he wanted. So it could only be edited. The scenes could only be edited together in a specific way. And then when George Lucas hired Richard Marquand to direct Return of the Jedi, he basically forbid him from working in that way and was like, you have to shoot master shots 
in coverage so that then George Lucas himself could go into the edit and like finish the film. So I think that is the point where like the uh, studio, you know, it went less from being like a director driven film to like more of a producer studio driven series. And I feel like that, I mean, the prequels are, are, you know, this different thing because George Lucas is writing, directing and producing them and he has complete creative control, but that's a whole other I think can of worms of what went wrong there, but yeah. I think that yeah, after Empire Strikes Back is the is the place where the series shifted into permanently being uh, producer driven and market driven and like toy driven and about servicing this larger franchise rather than just focusing on you know being a good film. Yeah, and I think you know most, and I I would uh, most Star Wars fans I don't know if all most agree sure the jedi still works as a movie it's still like a good movie but you can start to see some of those things like the cracks are starting to show a little um and then we made six more of them well we made a lot more than six there's other direct to dvd star wars movies there's tv movies there's cartoon shows live action shows i mean since then there's been a lot of star wars material and most of it is pretty low quality and forgettable. I mean, basically you're talking about like a really good film and then a really good sequel to that film, which is like a miracle in and of itself. And then after that, it kind of has become extremely hit and miss. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, so here's a question. I'm going to ask you a million dollar question here um, because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, we look at all the, the nonology, the nonology, the nine part series. And if we were to, rank them all or you know give them all ratings or something i mean like the it's the quality level is all over the place right it's just it's completely all over the map right um why and i was like i still like star wars but like what is it about star wars that everyone likes like i said there's nine of these movies in the main storyline as you mentioned there's piles oodles just bajillions of all kinds of other things um and the quality level you know can sometimes be all over the map what is the magic formula here? Why why is Star Wars just keep going forever? Do you have any theories? A million dollar question, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's something really appealing about this like space fantasy sort of setting. Um, and I suppose part of it is just the basic appeal of, you know, archetypal good versus evil forces. And unlike another fictional universes like Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek, Star Wars is never really all that concerned with politics or you know actual like space travel and like stuff like that it's not like real sciencey stuff it's all about high fantasy and adventure and good versus evil it really adds to the universal appeal and part of it too is that just like the original star wars film is just like really good like it's and it is also really smart in the way it like hints at a larger universe without having to explain everything and tie everything together which is something that the most of the subsequent films cannot resist doing i mean the first star wars film if you just like watch it or try to watch it with like you know as fresh eyes as you can it's just like really good movie i mean it's i mean that that definitely has got something to do with it yeah if i was going to get my answer would have something to do with how effortlessly it kind of mixes genres because if you look at the original star wars movie it's sort of a western fantasy there's like some dueling and then there's also like some fighter pilot sequences 
it, it's a it, when you think about it, like out of context, those are some very bizarre elements to sort of mix together, right? If I were to tell you I'm going to make a movie that's like half Western, half fantasy with fighter pilots in it, I mean, that sounds weird, right? And he sort of effortlessly mixes that together. And the Emperor, you know, I really don't mind the Emperor as a villain. Um, he's like a space wizard. He's like a he's, he's an old wizard that lives in a, you know, a space castle or something. It's It's a very interesting mixture of science fiction and fantasy. So, yeah, I think there's something there. It's just it's like George Lucas has this lightning in a bottle the first time around and it's like some kind of paradox. Like even he can't recreate it when he tries, right? I don't know who can. I don't know. It's like even when he tries and has total creative control, he can't put the lightning in the bottle the second time. Well, the first time, yeah, I mean, the first time he made, I mean, if you go back and watch THX 1138, it's a really good, really weird science fiction film. And then he makes American Graffiti, which is also really good. And then he makes Star Wars, which is really good. And then he doesn't, you know, direct another film for like 30 years. So I think, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a difference between being like the young, hungry filmmaker who's trying to meld his interests in, like you said, World War II fighter pilot kind of stories and Westerns and samurai films and Flash Gordon into like this new thing. And then, you know, subsequent to that, it's just like its own behemoth, like pop culture behemoth. It's like trying to steer the Titanic, you know. Yeah, and I think, and this actually is one of my complaints, and like I said, I, I did overall like R Rise of Skywalker. I don't really disagree with any of the stuff you're saying. I guess I just feel like, um, you know, some of the, the positive elements of it carried it through. But one thing that does bug me, and this is makes me feel, this is a 90-year-old man complaint, so I feel like a 90-year-old man, but like, I feel like movies now, movies these days, you know, kids these days, movies these days rely too much on like all this computer generated stuff. And I know that sounds like an old person like complaint or something like everything is better when it's a practical effect, which isn't necessarily true. But having rewatched the other two sequel movies, Force Awakens, Last Jedi recently, you know, if you look at the final battle of these movies, right? So each one, each Star Wars movie has like a final battle at the end. And the other final battles in Force Awakens and Last Jedi are like physical things. They take place in like a physical space. You can see characters like personally struggling against each other, right? It, like like it's real, like they're sweating, they're like grunting, they're yelling at each other. And in this movie, the final sequence is almost entirely computer generated. And it takes place in like a giant empty space that's like obviously a green screen. And I just think that's, I think that's part of what's, you know, it's a lot of movies that do that. And it's, I think you can feel the difference. It's it's hard to put your finger on maybe, but like I feel like that's a difference. That's a that's a negative. Like the final part of this movie is just like CG beams shooting each way. Is the uh, giant blue laser shooting into the sky? Yeah. And, Are you and, talking about the scene where they're fighting the emperor in some kind of weird coliseum or something, or the scene in space where they're fighting all of the ships, the evil ships? I was thinking of when they're when they're with the emperor in the Coliseum and it's it's he's like he's like attached to some kind of rig. And like I said, I don't have a problem with the emperor necessarily coming back because I think in my mind, he's like Sauron from Lord of the Rings. He's like an evil space wizard. Sure, he can come back. I don't know. But he's I, mean, like I don't have a problem with him coming back in theory. I just think it was done yeah. in a really dumb way in this movie. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like that scene uh, does not feel like it takes place in any kind of real physical space that exists somewhere. It feels like they're like actors flailing around against a green screen. 
which is again weird because and I don't mean to keep circling back to this, but JJ Abrams literally did the exact opposite in The Force Awakens, the final battle. They're like in a forest and you can see them like jumping over stuff and their faces are like drenched in sweat and stuff and they're like yelling at each other. And in this it's literally he's like floating in the air attached to a thing and he's shooting lightning and there's like beams coming from them and then she defeats him by like deflecting the beams back and it it just it's like even though it looks good, I'm sure they spent tens of millions of dollars on it on some level it feels like you're watching like a video game cutscene. there's no there's no touching nobody like touches anybody nobody like interacts you know yeah I, I i do know what you mean it's not very good it's also weird because he's like okay first of all you have the emperor who is so all-powerful that he creates snoke as like a puppet and he's been manipulating everything from behind the scenes for like this whole film series is what we're meant to believe, but yet he apparently loses track of his own family members, which is like hard to quite fathom. And then he wants Ray to like be the vessel for him to like come back. And then she's like, no. And then he's like, oh, okay, I'll just do something else then. And then they keep going. Yeah. And at the beginning of the movie, he actually tells Kylo Ren to kill her. And then at the end, he's like, oh, I never wanted you to be killed. And then it, like what? Like what? What if he had actually just gone and killed her? I don't. It, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's kind of mushy. That's a word we could use to describe a plot. And you know, and I, you know, I like even when he's like sucking their life force out. Like, you know, have him be a vampire. Have him like physically put his hands on something and actually interact with them. It's all just computer generated and yeah. So anyway, gotta love that weightless CGI bull. Ooh, naughty words. Um. Do you have a recommendation for a Star Wars thing that's better than this? You know, for recommendation, I would just recommend the other two movies in the sequel trilogy. Like I said, I just watched them like recently and I thought they both worked. I, I like them both for different reasons. Force Awakens is very well done. It, it basically does, I think, a lot of the things he's trying to do here successfully. The plot is derivative, but there's a lot of fun chemistry between the characters interacting, which, again, you, you miss out on some in in a lot of this movie um and then the last jedi has a lot of really you know like you mentioned it's interesting thematically there's a lot of cool sequences you know even the fight in the last jedi there's a fight that takes place in what is basically a giant empty throne room but it feels like a physical space it it looks like a backdrop like a set not like a green screen and that set is like destroyed as they fight it's like on fire and stuff and there's something to that like physicality that just makes it better. It, it makes it feel more real, right? There's more, there's like something to hang the drama off of. So I would recommend, I mean, give those movies a watch if, you know, rewatch them if you haven't seen them in a while. I feel like everyone listening to this has already seen them, but that would be my recommendation. Force Awakens and Last Jedi, I think, are are both pretty solid in different ways. I would give a shout out to Star Wars Clone Wars. Which, when you're hearing that, you might be thinking of the long-running CGI animated television show, which also was released as a feature film, Star Wars The Clone Wars. But this is an entirely separate and distinct thing with that's confusingly named Star Wars Clone Wars. The presence of the article The being the difference between these two things. So Star Wars Clone Wars was a three-season animated television show on Cartoon Network made by Gendy Tartakovsky, who was the mastermind behind shows like uh, Powerpuff Girls and Samurai Jack. And it was uh, run as what they call a micro-series because the episodes are all really short, like they're only like three minutes long or like six minutes long, I can't remember exactly. But if you get 
the these on DVD, they're edited together, so to basically without credits, so they just all the episodes run back to back as like a film. So basically, you have two one-hour films, and they're uh, better than any Star Wars movies that have been made since The Empire Strikes Back. They're fun. There's a lot of like great action sequences and like weird alien uh, stuff going on, and they're just kind of a hoot. You get to see like Mace Windu fights like hundreds of battle droids at once, and there's other like weird aliens and stuff. It's a uh, it's a really good time. Star Wars Clone Wars. It's uh, Disney deleted it from continuity, and it's not available on Disney Plus. Um, I think, and the DVDs are out of print, so it's not the easiest thing to find these days. But it's, yeah, it's the best Star Wars thing since Empire Strikes Back. That is technically an episode of a podcast. Our website is armyofcrime.com. I am on Twitter at armyofcrime. Dustin is on Twitter at Dustin4444. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can leave us a review if you thought our show was interesting, worthwhile, worth listening to, better than listening to White Noise, the bedtime fan app. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or whatever you get your podcasts on. And in closing, I would just like to say live long and prosper. This is random, but you know what you realize about Star Wars when you get old? that C-3PO was the best character in a lot of the movies.